Hey, has anybody been to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York? Any big baseball fans out there? Or maybe people who were dragged and forced to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame by somebody in your family who is a big baseball fan? Like for me, Cooperstown is like the, the gold standard for halls of fame. Not only is the town of Cooperstown a beautiful backdrop for the hall, but the hall itself is just a fantastic, fantastic place. It does such an amazing job of just celebrating and capturing the rich history of baseball. I'm a bit of a baseball nerd. I love baseball. So this is like a great, great experience for me. And I remember when I had the chance to visit being in awe as I walked by all these displays celebrating these like these truly historical names, right? These players, these heroes of the game. Names that not only represented like giants in baseball, but actually players who like transcended sport. Players that became like cultural icons. Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle, Jackie Robinson. But you know, I remember one display that was just like different. Different in terms of like just like sheer gravity of preeminence. Like there was, there was this feeling when you walked into the space that honored this player, just this weight of significance. The player was Babe Ruth. Number three. Right, the Bambino. Even if you're not a sports fan, you've heard his name before. He changed baseball forever. Seven times World Series champion. First player to hit 50 home runs. First player to hit 60 home runs. First player to accumulate 500 career home runs. Ruth overshadowed the game. He was baseball. He remains to this day the very essence of the game. His career on and off the field made him not, not just one of the most famous athletes in the world, but one of the most famous Americans. Okay, he doesn't just have a display at the Hall of Fame if you go there. There's like a room dedicated to Babe Ruth, the Babe Ruth room. His name has become a, a part of the vernacular like of our culture He's become an adjective. If something is like big or powerful, we, we call it Ruthian sometimes. And I remember my visit like just pausing in this space and taking in the significance of this player as I looked at his plaque in Cooperstown. You know, they have those, those plaques with the player's image on it and all their achievements underneath. George, Herman, Babe, Ruth. You know, as I scan the list of Hall of Famers in Hebrews 11, amongst all these great heroes of the faith, I had that same feeling of gravity, that same feeling of preeminence as I, as I considered a certain name on that list. Abraham. Abraham, okay, think about his plaque, if he had a plaque. Three major worldwide faith groups look to him as their spiritual forefather. When Paul was looking for a model of faith in the Old Testament, he could have chosen dozens and dozens of people, but he chose Abraham. 
Romans 4.11 calls him the father of all who believe. There's a title. Galatians 3.8 says that God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. How awesome is that? God announced his plan of salvation to Abraham. James writes in chapter 2 that it was Abraham who demonstrates us to us how, how like faith and works fit together. Abraham. His life story is documented from chapter 11 all the way to chapter 25 of the book of Genesis. And then the rest of the book details his, his direct descendants. Abraham. Like to call him a, a hall of famer somehow doesn't even seem enough. You know, Babe Ruth changed a game forever because of his strength and his skill. Abraham changed the world forever because of his faith. George Herman Ruth had his, his name changed by culture to the babe. But way more significantly, Abram had his name changed by God to Abraham. The name Abram means exalted father, which is good. But because of his great faith, God changed his name to mean something even better. Abraham, the father of multitudes. And so what exactly was it about Abraham's faith that made, makes his name so revered by the Bible writers and so celebrated by God? Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, this is the central text for our series. Abraham certainly wasn't perfect as we read his story. We see a story of a very flawed man in many ways. But in his story, we also see a story of unrivaled faith in God. And there are like so many detailed individual examples of his faith that we could like drill down on. Never mind a, a summer sermon. We, we could do a summer series on Abraham. And only scratch the surface of the importance of his faith. But like I just want to take like a view from, from 10,000 feet at this, this amazing, amazing man. To capture the essence of his remarkable faith. That captured the eye and the heart of God. And has become the faith through which we still believe today. You know Hebrews 11 is kind of like the, the inscription that would be on somebody's Hall of Fame plaque, right? This is like the summary of Abraham's faith career. And so what was it about this patriarch named Abraham's faith that was so significant and so special? And what could we possibly have in common with the faith, -like, uh, faith life of an ancient patriarch? It turns out a lot. Okay, let's go. Firstly, Abraham had a willing faith. Okay, Abraham had a willing faith. Listen, throughout the Bible, we discover something really important about God. The kind of people that God looks for and the kind of people that God uses and the kind of people who please the heart of God. And as we journey through the Bible, we discover that these people weren't usually the most gifted people. 
They weren't usually the most experienced people, and they weren't always the most perfect people, that's for sure. But they were the most willing people. They were the people who heard the call of God and said, me, I'll go. I'll do that. And in Abraham, we discover what a willing faith looks like. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Okay, the, the word I want to highlight here is went. Okay, if that word isn't in the text, we're not having this conversation. Okay, it's the past tense of, of go. It's a, it's a verb. It's similar to move or advance or proceed to step. He went. You see, a Hall of Fame faith doesn't just think about what God says. It doesn't even just believe what God says. There are a lot of people who believe what God says. But a Hall of Fame faith is rare because it's a faith that is willing to go, to proceed, to move, to step. Never mind not having his ducks in a row. Like Abraham didn't have any ducks. Abraham did not have the luxury of getting to know where he was going. He didn't know what he would experience he didn't know how he would get to where God was calling him to go. And he didn't know how long it would take to get there. All he had was a promise. And he went. See, a willing faith steps out of comfort zones. A willing faith steps out of comfort zones. The life of Abraham, then called Abram, begins as he's living in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And this is important. Ur, this is like his hood. This is his hometown. Okay, and, and here's what we know about Ur. It was impressive. Okay, archaeological discoveries have shown unequivocally that Ur was a major urban center in its age. Okay, it was a prosperous city that was really advanced compared to other cities of its day. This city, the city of Ur, was planned skillfully. It was actually divided into neighborhoods with merchants living in one quarter and artisans in another corner. There were streets both narrow and wide, open spaces for parks and gatherings. They found many structures for water resource management and flood control are still in evidence today. The houses and buildings in Ur were built so well that evidence of their foundations still remain today. Ur was rich with culture and art and academics and wealth. You know, discoveries of ancient tombs disclosed luxury items, precious metals and stones that were actually imported from foreign lands into Ur. Just unprecedented wealth. This was Ur. This was Abraham's home. Okay, the guy grew up in the Beverly Hills of the ancient age. 
This was a place of familiarity and comfort. And this was the place God was asking him to leave. In Genesis 12.1, God directs Abram to leave Ur, to leave the comfort and prosperity of his home and to dwell in tents for the rest of his life. A goodbye comfort zone. Okay, not only was Ab- Abram stepping out of a comfort zone physically, he was also stepping out of a comfort zone spiritually. See, at this point in the story, he was a pagan. The people of Ur did not worship the one true God of creation. The city's patron deity was a moon god called Nana. And Abram would have grown up worshiping and believing in this this pagan small g God when the voice of a different God, the most high God, came to him and said these words, go from your country, your people, and your father's household, your comfort zone, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Like, what do you do with that? When a strange new voice speaks to the entirety of your spiritual experience up to this point in your life, everything that you have trusted, everything that you have believed in and asked you to leave it behind to take a step out of your spiritual comfort zone. Abram was being asked to leave a very safe and familiar thing to step into the comfort of the unfamiliar, into the unknown, that he might experience the the divine purposes of God for his life. Here's the trade, Abram, comfort for destiny. Listen, there exists in our God an inexhaustible source of divine possibilities. Inexhaustible. But the truth is we will never step into the fullness of his possibilities unless at some point we are willing to take a step out of our comfort zones to leave some familiar things behind. You know, I remember facing a comfort zone moment of my own in 2012. We, we, we had sensed, my wife and I had sensed that God was calling me out of a job that I'd done for 24 years and into, well, that was the problem, into, we didn't know. Did this place, it had been, been my comfort zone. It was familiar. It was safe. It it was the only full-time job I had known. Like I started working there when I was 16 years old. And we, we sensed that God was calling us out of that place. And I remember signing the contract that made leaving that job official. And like my hand was shaking. I remember thinking, is this crazy? I didn't have another job on the horizon, but I did have a mortgage and a young family to consider. 
but like this was, was, was the time. The company was offering buyouts only at this time. And even more, I sense that God was offering new possibilities if I might be willing to step out of what was comfortable and known and into his divine possibilities. And this was the moment And, you know, I still remember like it was yesterday taking that first step out of the doors of my workplace on my very last day. I'm sure I kind of felt like Abraham in that moment taking his first step outside the borders of Ur. Like, I know what I'm leaving behind. And I'm not sure what I'm walking into, but I know I'll never get there without one step of faith out of comfort and into what God had for me. And I felt like God was saying, listen, this won't be easy, but it will be worth it. This journey won't be easy, but it will be worth it. And it was. And you know, I think our comfort zones all look different. For some of us, our comfort zone uh, is people. Okay, we have like a group of friends or a group of people that we feel really safe and secure with, and that's a gift. But what if God has some new people that he wants to enrich your life with, he wants to connect you with, that you may never meet if you're unwilling to step out of your comfort zone? For some of us, our comfort zones are our our tasks, right? We only do things that we're confident that we can handle, things we're good at and things that make us look good. But what if God has something new for you to try that he knows will fill you with deep purpose and will benefit others if 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 you step? For some of us, our comfort zone might be like money, Right, our, our finances, we're playing it safe when it comes to our money, but God is calling us into a new place of extravagant generosity because there's an incredible blessing that he wants to impart to us in that place as we impart into others. In what area of your life Are you sensing that God is calling you to a new place? Out of the comfortable place where you've been dwelling and into a place where you will need faith. See, he's always calling us into a deeper faith, into deeper trust with him, always. And you might not have all the answers, but there's like a stirring in your heart for more. What would it look like to take one step? Out of comfort, and into the divine possibilities of God. Like if it doesn't challenge us, it won't change us. And it won't be easy. But it will be worth it. See, a willing faith, a Hall of Fame faith, a faith like Abraham's, gives up control, is fueled by the promises of God rather than circumstances, and steps out of comfort and into divine destiny. 
Okay, the next thing that we see about this legendary hall of famer is that Abraham also had a wandering faith. He had a wandering faith. You know, any important journey of faith that God calls us on will include a season of wandering. Wandering in the wilderness, like the time in between. In between the calling and the, 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 the promise and the fulfillment of the promise this wandering season. You know, David wandered in shepherd's fields after being anointed by Samuel to be the king until finally he realized the promises of God in his life. The apostle Paul wandered in the wilderness of Arabia for three years after his conversion experience on the Damascus road before he would become God's messenger to the Gentile world. The children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the desert from Egypt to the promised land. Jesus wandered in the wilderness for 40 days after the Holy Spirit descended on him and the divine endorsement from his father at his baptism came to him before he, he began his public ministry. Okay, my, my wandering was, was nine months between leaving that job and, and realizing the divine possibilities of, of God, what was next. Nine months of, of wrestling, of praying, of worrying, to be honest. Some good days, some hard days. Wandering, right? In Hebrews 11, it says this in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. In verse 9, we read that he wandered like a stranger in a foreign land living in tents. Okay, while Abraham had wealth and many servants, he didn't have everything. He didn't have a home. <laughs> kind of important. He dwelt in tents rather than having a permanent dwelling place. He lived in a temporal, he lived a temporal wandering life as he journeyed towards that which God was calling him to. And he didn't just wander physically. Abraham wandered spiritually. After famine strikes, he heads to Egypt without consulting God. Strike one, if we're still using baseball analogies. Strike two, he creates a lie to tell the Egyptians, stating that Sarah is his sister rather than his wife because he was afraid that they would kill him if they knew they were together because of her great beauty. Okay, that stuff doesn't end up on his Hall of Fame plaque. Hebrews 11 doesn't say by faith, lack of faith, Abraham lied to save his own skin. But he did. He wandered physically and he wandered spiritually. And wandering is a part of the journey. Hey, maybe you feel right now that you're in a season of wandering. Like you feel that like God has made some promises in your life, has called you to some things but you haven't seen like the fulfillment of those things yet. You haven't reached your promised land. You feel like you're wandering directionless in the wilderness. You feel like you're living in tents rather than a permanent residence. You know, we all, we all go through seasons of wandering, times of the in-between, times of waiting in the wilderness. And these seasons can be really 
really hard. Really discouraging. You know, it's how we respond in the wandering seasons that determines if we will, in fact, have Hall of Fame faith. See, in Abraham's wandering, we see that the wandering season is not a sidetrack to a Hall of Fame faith. It's a part of God's plan in building a Hall of Fame faith. See, God could have fulfilled Abraham's destiny of becoming the father of countless descendants. Oh, look at the stars. Those, those stars represent the, the descendants that you're going to have, Abraham. That promise didn't depend on geography. That could have happened right where he was in Ur, but still God allowed him to wander, to journey. Why? Because it was in the wandering season that Abraham truly forged his relationship with God. God had an inheritance ready and waiting for him. But Abraham would never be able to hang on to that inheritance without the character, the heart, and the faith he would develop in the wandering. Listen, our wandering roads are not dead ends. They're not twisted, nonsensical paths that lead to nowhere. They're strategic. Our wandering roads are avenues. They're God's avenues where we discover clarity and trust and prayer and perseverance and gratitude. And the wandering season is often one that we want to rush through, right? Just get me there. But it's important that we allow God to do everything he needs to do in us in the wilderness. Hey, wandering doesn't mean you're off course. It means God is doing things in us that he can only accomplish in the wilderness. See, seasons of comfort seldom transform us. If you feel like you're wandering in the wilderness between God's promised and your promised land, you can trust the road. You know, I love that when God called Abraham out of his tent, he didn't give Abraham a plan. Okay, this is what you're going to do, Abraham. Here's the plan. He gave him a vision. A vision of a starry sky and endless descendants. He didn't hand Abraham a road map and say, this is how you're going to get there. He invited him on a journey of faith. And in fact, it's, it's often on the journey of faith that we discover God's road map. Author Len Wilson concerning Abraham writes this. I think this is great. He says, God's vision was for a family that would fill the earth. We look for step-by-step -step instructions, but executing a plan doesn't require faith and an ongoing relationship. When God asks us to make a difficult change, God gives us a vision of where we're going. And it's our job to keep that image in front of us as we traverse the journey. This is what creates relationship. See, so look at verse 10 in Hebrews. This is awesome. On his Hall of Fame plaque in Hebrews 11, it tells us what direction Abraham was following in his wandering. His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. 
In the wandering, a Hall of Fame faith isn't consumed by the circumstances or the problems, the challenges, the dangers of the wilderness. It's consumed with the unshakable foundation of God's promises. And the message, Paul writes in Romans 4.18, this about Abraham. He says, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. Deciding to live not on the basis of what he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made the father of, multitude, of a multitude of peoples. And then in verse 20 and 21, Paul continues, he says, he didn't tiptoe around God's promise asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. Hey, if you feel like you're wandering today, <laughs> If you feel like you're in a wilderness season of in-between some things that you feel God has promised in your life and the fulfillment of those promises, plunge. I love that word. Are you still willing to live not on the basis of what you see, but what God said he would do? Are you willing to keep plunging into the promises ready for God? You can trust the road he has you on. Okay, lastly, a Hall of Fame faith is a worshiping faith. Look at verses 17 and 18. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offering will be reckoned. That your offspring will be reckoned. Okay, the author is, of course, referencing Abraham's willingness to even sacrifice his own son on an altar of obedience to God. Right? Like, that's the ultimate sacrifice of praise. To Abraham, God's glory was more important than anything else, but this was not Abraham's first altar. In Genesis 12, 7, he builds an altar of promise to worship God for his faithfulness. In Genesis 12, 8, he builds an altar of intimacy as he grows in knowledge and friendship of God. In Genesis 13, 8, he builds an altar of restoration as a sign of his renewed commitment to God after his blunder in Egypt. In Genesis 13, 18, he builds an altar of recognition as he just like celebrates the incredible blessings of God in his life. This guy piled a lot of rocks. <laughs> he left a lot of altars behind him in that wilderness. Although he is in God's hall of fame, it was never about him. Are you kidding me? It was always about God. And as he sojourned through a pagan land, Abraham left behind monuments of praise, altars, reminders of the glory and the love and the greatness of his God. What if we did the same? As we sojourned through a pagan land, what if we left behind altars of praise to God? See, an altar is a place where things are altered by the presence of God 
What if we went into work tomorrow morning and said, you know, today, I'm going to build an altar in this place. By the way I work, by how I love and encourage my coworkers through my attitude, when I leave this place today, there's going to be an altar of praise. People are going to see a monument that brings glory to Jesus. What if we showed up to coach baseball tomorrow night and said, I'm going to build an altar on that infield grass tonight. I'm going to model Christ and I'm going to serve the kids and parents on my team and the other team so well that it will be undeniable that an altar of praise and worship was left behind on that diamond. The presence of Jesus was on that baseball field tonight. What if we tuned into an online service and we came into this space where we are today and said, I'm not going to church. I'm going to build an altar today. Like I'm going to focus my whole heart on God as we sing. I'm going to call out his name in prayer with such passion and faith. I'm going to celebrate my redemption with such gladness with my spiritual family that when we are done, there will be altars everywhere. See, as followers of, of Jesus, a day is never just a day. It's an opportunity to build an altar. To build something so beautiful that it stands as an undeniable monument to the world that there is a God of love and power and grace and mercy. A God who makes promises to his children and he keeps them. I want a Hall of Fame faith. And you want a Hall of Fame faith. We can have a Hall of Fame faith if it's a willing faith, a faith that doesn't just believe, but a faith that lives like it believes, a faith that goes, that moves, that takes steps out of comfort zones and into promises. What is, what is one step? What is one step you can take right now, today, to demonstrate that you believe God's promise in your life is true? What is one thing you can try that you've never tried before? What is one thing you can do that might seem uncomfortable, but you know it will be beneficial? If it doesn't challenge us, it won't change us. And how, how about a wandering faith, a faith that trusts even in the wilderness, a faith that waits as the Lord refines us and readies us, a faith that embraces the journey and not just the destination. Where are you wandering in your faith right now? Like waiting. What areas of your life feel like a wilderness today? Are you willing to hang on? to allow God to do what he needs to do as he prepares you for his promise. And above all, may our faith be a worshiping faith. May we intentionally be looking 
for places where we can build altars. Monuments of praise to God that show the world that he is real. That he is working. And that he is awesome. Let's pray. God, you might not be calling us to be the father of multitudes as you did Abraham, but you are calling us. You are calling everyone praying this prayer into deeper levels of trust and faith. You are calling us all into places where we abandon what is comfortable for something better. a more intimate, more faith-filled journey with you. Lord, would you show us the comfort zones that are holding us back? And would you give us the faith to step into the new thing, knowing that we step into it with you? God, I pray for those in the wandering season today that you would bless them with endurance and courage. May their eyes not see the wilderness, but may may their eyes see you. And God, show us the places in our lives where we can build and leave behind altars of praise to you. Altars that reveal your glory and your awesome love for all who see them. And we pray this all for the glory and in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.